Chapter Eight of Elizabethan Sea Dogs by William Wood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight. Drake clips the wings of Spain. For three years after Drake had been dubbed Sir Francis by the Queen, he was the hero of every class of Englishmen but two the extreme roman catholics who wanted mary queen of scots and the merchants who were doing business with portugal and spain the marian opposition to the general policy of england persisted for a few years longer but the merchants who were the inheritors of centuries of commercial intercourse with england's new enemies were soon to receive a shock that completely changed their minds they were themselves one of the strongest factors that made for war in the knotty problem now to be solved at the cannon's mouth because english trade was seeking new outlets in every direction and was beating hard against every door that foreigners shut in its face these merchants would not however support the war party till they were forced to as they still hoped to gain by other means what only war could win the year that drake came home one thousand five hundred and eighty philip at last got hold of a sea-going fleet the eleven big portuguese galleons taken when lisbon fell with the portuguese ships sailors and oversea possessions with more galleons under construction at santander in spain and with the galleons of the indian guard built by the great menendez to protect new spain with all this performed or promised philip began to feel as if the hour was at hand when he could do to england what she had done to him in one thousand five hundred and eighty three santa cruz the best spanish admiral since the death of menendez proposed to form the nucleus of the great armada out of the fleet with which he had just broken down the last vestige of portuguese resistance in the azores from that day on the idea was never dropped at the same time elizabeth discovered the paris plot between mary and philip and the catholics of france all of whom were bent on her destruction england stood to arms but false ideas of naval defence were uppermost in the queen's council no attempt was made to strike a concentrated blow at the heart of the enemy's fleet in his own waters instead of this the english ships were carefully divided among the three squadrons meant to defend the approaches to england ireland and scotland because as the queen in council sagely remarked who could be expected to know what the enemy's point of attack would be the fact is that when wielding the forces of the fleet and army the queen and most of her non-combatant counsellors never quite reached that supreme point of view from which the greatest statesmen see exactly where civil control ends and civilian interference begins luckily for england their mistakes were once more covered up by a turn of the international kaleidoscope no sooner had the immediate danger of a great combined attack on england passed away than elizabeth returned to drake's plan for a regular raid against new spain though it had to be one that was not designed to bring on war in europe drake who was a member of the navy board charged with the reorganization of the fleet was to have command the ships and men were ready but the time had not yet come 
Next year, 1584, Amadas and Barlow, Sir Walter Raleigh's two prospectors for the plantation of Virginia, were being delighted with the summer lands and waters of what is now North Carolina. We shall soon hear more of Raleigh and his vision of the West, but at this time a good many important events were happening in Europe, and it is these that we must follow first. William of Orange, the Washington of Holland, was assassinated at Philip's instigation, while plots to kill Elizabeth and place Mary on the throne began to multiply. The agents were executed, while a bond of association was signed by all Elizabeth's chief supporters, binding them to hunt down and kill all who tried to kill her, a plain hint for Mary Queen of Scots to stop plotting or stand the consequences. But the merchants trading with Spain and Portugal were more than ever for keeping on good terms with Philip because the failure of the Spanish harvest had induced him to offer them special protection and encouragement if they would supply his country's needs at once. Every available ton of shipping was accordingly taken up for Spain. The English merchant fleet went out and big profits seemed assured. But presently the Primrose, a tall ship of London, came flying home to say that Philip had suddenly seized the merchandise, imprisoned the men, and taken the ships and guns for use with the great armada. That was the last straw. The peaceful traders now saw that they were wrong, and that the fighting ones were right, and for the first time both could rejoice over the clever trick by which John Hawkins had got his own again from Philip. In 1571, three years after Don Martin's treachery at San Juan de Ulua, Hawkins, while commanding the Scilly Island Squadron, led the Spanish ambassador to believe that he would go over to the Spanish cause in Ireland if his claims for damages were only paid in full and all his surviving men in Mexico were sent home. The cold and crafty Philip swallowed this tempting bait sent the men home with Spanish dollars in their pockets, and paid Hawkins £40,000, the worth of about $2 million now. Then Hawkins used the information he had picked up behind the Spanish scenes to unravel the Rodolphi plot for putting Mary on the throne in 1572, the year of St. Bartholomew. No wonder Philip hated sea dogs." things new and old having reached this pass the whole of england bar the marians were eager for the great indies voyage of one thousand five hundred and eighty five londoners crowded down to woolwich with great jollity to see off their own contingent on its way to join drake's flag at plymouth very probably shakespeare went down too for that famous london merchantman the tiger to which he twice alludes once in macbeth and once in twelfth night was off with this contingent such a private fleet had never yet been seen twenty-one ships eight smart pinnaces and twenty-three hundred men of every rank and rating the queen was principal shareholder and managing director but as usual in colonial attacks intended for disavowal if necessity arose no prospectus or other document was published nor were the shareholders of this joint stock company known in any quite official way it was the size of the fleet and the reputation of the officers that made it a national affair drake now forty was admiral frobisher of northwest passage fame was vice nollies the queen's own cousin rear 
carlisle a famous general commanded the troops and sailed in shakespeare's tiger drake's old crew from the golden hind came forward to a man among them wright that excellent mathematician and engineer and big tom moon the lion of all boarding parties each in command of a ship but elizabeth was just then weaving the threads of an unusually intricate diplomatic pattern so doubts and delays orders and counter-orders vexed drake to the last sir philip sidney too came down as a volunteer which was another sore vexation since his european fame would have made him practically joint commander of the fleet although he was not a naval officer at all but he had the good sense to go back whereupon drake fearing further interruptions from the court ordered everything to be tumbled into the nearest ships and hurried off to sea under a press of sail the first port of call was vigo in the northwestern corner of spain where drake's envoy told the astonished governor that elizabeth wanted to know what philip intended doing about embargoes now if the governor wanted peace he must listen to drake's arguments if war well drake was ready to begin at once a three days storm interrupted the proceedings after which the english intercepted the fugitive townsfolk whose flight showed that the governor meant to make a stand though he had said the embargo had been lifted and that all the english prisoners were at liberty to go some english sailors however were still being held so drake sent in an armed party and brought them off with a good pile of reprisal booty too then he put to sea and made for the spanish main by way of the portuguese african islands the plan of campaign drawn up for burleigh's information still exists it shows that drake the consummate raider was also an admiral of the highest kind the items showing how long each part should take and what loot each place should yield are exact and interesting but it is in the relation of every part to every other part and to the whole that the original genius of the born commander shines forth in all its glory after taking san domingo he was to sack margarita la hacha and santa marta raising their fortifications as he left cartagena and nombre de dios came next then carlisle was to raid panama with the help of the maroons while drake himself was to raid the coast of honduras finally with reunited forces he would take havana and if possible hold it by leaving a sufficient garrison behind thus he would paralyze new spain by destroying all the points of junction along its lines of communication just when philip stood most in need of its help for completing the great armada but like a meddlesome steeplechaser drake took a leap in his stride during the preliminary canter before the great race the wind being foul for the canaries he went on to the cape verde archipelago and captured santiago which had been abandoned in terror on the approach of the english dragon that sinister hero of lopa de vega's epic onslaught la dragontea as good luck would have it carlyle marched in on the anniversary of the queen's accession the seventeenth of november so there was a royal salute fired in her majesty's honour by land and sea no treasure was found french privateers had sacked the place three years before and had killed off every one they caught the portuguese however were not going to wait to meet the english dragon too the force that marched inland failed to unearth the governor so san domingo santiago and porto praya were all burnt to the ground before the fleet bore away for the west indies 
San Domingo in Hispaniola, Haiti, was made in due course, but only after a virulent epidemic had seriously thinned the ranks. San Domingo was the oldest town in New Spain and was strongly garrisoned and fortified, but Carlyle's soldiers carried all before them. Drake battered down the seaward walls, the Spaniards abandoned the citadel at night, and the English took the whole place as a New Year's gift for 1,586 but again there was no treasure the spaniards had killed off the caribs in war or in the mines so that nothing was now dug out moreover the citizens were quite on their guard against adventurers and ready to hide what they had in the most inaccessible places drake then put the town up to ransom and sent out his own maroon boy servant to bring in the message from the spanish officer proposing terms this spaniard hating all maroons ran his lance through the boy and cantered away the boy came back with the last ounce of his strength and fell dead at drake's feet drake sent to say he would hang two spaniards every day if the murderer was not hanged by his own compatriots as no one came he began with two friars then the spaniards brought in the offender and hanged him in the presence of both armies that episode cleared the air and an interchange of courtesies and hospitalities immediately followed but no business was done drake therefore began to burn the town bit by bit till twenty-five thousand ducats were paid it was very little for the capital but the men picked up a good deal of loot in the process and vented their ultra-protestant zeal on all the graven images that were not worth keeping for sale on the whole the english were well satisfied they had taken all the spanish ships and armament they wanted destroyed the rest liberated over a hundred brawny galley slaves some turks among them all anxious for revenge and had struck a blow at spanish prestige which echoed back to europe spain never hid her light under a bushel and here in the governor's palace was a huge escutcheon with a horse standing on the earth and pawing at the sky the motto blazoned on it was to the effect that the earth itself was not enough for spain non sufficit orbis drake's humour was greatly tickled and he and his officers kept asking the spaniards to translate the motto again and again delays and tempestuous headwinds induced drake to let intermediate points alone and make straight for cartagena on the south american mainland cartagena had been warned and was on the alert it was strong by both nature and art the garrison was good of its kind though the spaniards custom of fighting in quilted jackets instead of armour put them at a disadvantage this custom was due to the heat and to the fact that the jackets were proof against the native arrows there was an outer and an inner harbour with such an intricate and well defended passage that no one thought drake would dare go in but he did frobisher had failed to catch a pilot but drake did the trick without one to the utter dismay of the spaniards after some more very clever manoeuvres to distract the enemy's attention from the real point of attack carlyle and the soldiers landed under cover of the dark and came upon the town where they were least expected by wading waist-deep through the water just out of sight of the spanish gunners the entrenchments did not bar the way in this unexpected quarter but wine casks full of rammed earth had been hurriedly piled there in case the mad english should make the attempt carlyle gave the signal goring's musketeers sprang forward and fired into the spaniards faces then sampson's pikemen 
charged through and a desperate hand-to-hand -hand fight ensued finally the spaniards broke after carlyle had killed their standard-bearer and goring had wounded and taken their commander the enemies ran pell-mell through the town together till the english reformed in the plaza next day drake moved in to attack the harbour fort whereupon it was abandoned and the whole place fell but again there was a dearth of booty the spaniards were getting shy of keeping too many valuables where they could be taken so negotiations emphasized by piecemeal destruction went on till sickness and the lateness of the season put the english in a sorry fix the sack of the city had yielded much less than that of san domingo and the men who were all volunteers to be paid out of plunder began to grumble at their ill success many had been wounded several killed big faithful tom moon among them a hundred died more were ill two councils of war were held one naval the other military the military officers agreed to give up all their own shares to the men but the naval officers who were poorer and who were also responsible for the expenses of their vessels could not concur finally one hundred and ten thousand ducats equivalent in purchasing power to nearly three millions of dollars were accepted it was now impossible to complete the programme or even to take havana in view of the renewed sickness the losses and the advance of the season a further disappointment was experienced when drake just missed the treasure fleet by only half a day though through no fault of his own then with constantly diminishing numbers of effective men the course was shaped for the spanish plantation of st augustine in florida this place was utterly destroyed and some guns and money were taken from it then the fleet stood north again till on the ninth of june it found raleigh's colony of roanoke ralph lane the governor was in his fort on the island ready to brave it out drake offered a free passage home to all the colonists but lane preferred staying and going on with his surveys and plantation drake then filled up a storeship to leave behind with lane but a terrific three-day storm wrecked the storeship and damped the colonists enthusiasm so much that they persuaded lane to change his mind the colonists embarked and the fleet then bore away for home though balked of much it had expected in the way of booty reduced in strength by losses and therefore unable to garrison any strategic point which would threaten the life of new spain its purely naval work was a true and glorious success when he arrived at plymouth drake wrote immediately to burley my very good lord there is now a very great gap opened very little to the liking of the king of spain this very great gap on the american side of the atlantic was soon to be matched by the still greater gap drake was to make on the european side by destroying the spanish armada and thus securing that mightiest of ocean highways through which the hosts of emigration afterwards poured into a land endowed with the goodly heritage of english liberty and the english tongue the year of drake's return one thousand five hundred and eighty six was no less troublous than its immediate predecessors the discovery of the babington plot to assassinate elizabeth and to place mary on the throne supported by scotland france and spain proved mary's complicity produced an actual threat of war from france and made the pope and philip gnash their teeth with rage the roman catholic allied powers had no sufficient navy and philip's credit was at its lowest ebb after drake's devastating raid 
The English were exultant east and west for the true report of a worthy fight performed in the voyage from Turkey by five ships of London against eleven galleys and two frigates of the King of Spain at Pantelaria within the Straits of Gibraltar. Anno 1586 was going the rounds and running a close second to Drake's West India achievement. The ignorant and thoughtless both then and since mistook this fight and another like it in 1590 to mean that English merchantmen could beat off Spanish men of war. Nothing of the kind. The English Levanters were heavily armed and admirably manned by well-trained fighting crews, and what these actions really proved, if proof was necessary, was that galleys were no match for broadsides from the proper kind of sailing ships. Turkey came into the problems of 1586 in more than name, for there was a vast diplomatic scheme on foot to unite the Turks with such Portuguese as would support Antonio, the pretender to the throne of Portugal, and the rebellious Dutch against Spain, Catholic France, and Mary Stuart's Scotland. Leicester was in the Netherlands with an English army, fighting indecisively, losing Sir Philip Sidney, and angering Elizabeth by accepting the governor-generalship without her leave and against her diplomacy, which now as ever was opposed to any definite avowal that could possibly be helped. Meanwhile, the great armada was working up its strength, and Drake was commissioned to weaken it as much as possible. But on the 8th of February, 1587, before he could sail, Mary was at last beheaded, and Elizabeth was once more entering on a tricky course of torturous diplomacy, too long by half to follow here. As the great crisis approached, it had become clearer and clearer that it was a case of kill or be killed between Elizabeth and Mary, and that England could not afford to leave Marian enemies in the rear when there might be a vast Catholic alliance in the front. But as a sovereign, Elizabeth disliked the execution of any crowned head. As a wily woman, she wanted to make the most of both sides, and as a diplomatist, she would not have open war and direct operations going down to the root of the evil, if devious ways would do. So the peace party of the council prevailed again, and Drake's orders were changed. He had been going as a lion. The peace party now tried to send him as a fox, but he stretched his instructions to their utmost limits and even defied the custom of the service by holding no council of war when deciding to swoop on Cadiz. As they entered the harbor, the English saw sixty ships engaged in preparations for the great armada. Many had no sails to keep the crews from deserting. Others were waiting for their guns to come from Italy. Ten galleys rowed out to protect them. The weather and surroundings were perfect for these galleys, but as they came end on in line abreast, Drake crossed their T in line ahead with the shattering broadsides of four Queen's ships, which soon sent them flying. Each galley was the upright of the T, each English sailing ship the corresponding crosspiece. Then Drake attacked the shipping and wrecked it right and left. Next morning he led the pinnaces and boats into the inner harbor, where they cut out the big galleon belonging to Santa Cruz himself, the Spanish commander-in-chief. Then the galleys got their chance again, an absolutely perfect chance, because Drake's fleet was becalmed at the very worst possible place for sailing ships and the very best possible place for the well-oared galleys. 
but even under these extraordinary circumstances the ships smashed the galleys up with broadside fire and sent them back to cover then the spaniards towed some fire-ships out but the english rowed for them threw grappling irons into them and gave them a turn that took them clear then for the last time the galleys came on as bravely but as uselessly as ever when drake sailed away he left the shipping of cadiz completely out of action for months to come though fifteen sail escaped destruction in the inner harbour his own losses were quite insignificant the next objective was cape st vincent so famous through centuries of naval history because it is the great strategic salient thrust out into the atlantic from the southwest corner of europe and thus commands the flank approaches to and from the mediterranean to and from the coast of africa and in those days the route to and from new spain by way of the azores here drake had trouble with burrow his second-in-command a friend of cautious burley and a man hidebound in the warfare of the past a sort of english don burrow objected to drake's taking decisive action without the vote of a council of war remembering the terrors of italian textbooks he had continued to regard the galleys with much respect in the harbour of cadiz even after drake had broken them with ease finally still clinging to the old ways of mere raids and reprisals he stood aghast at the idea of seizing cape st vincent and making it a base of operations drake promptly put him under arrest sagra's castle commanding the roadstead of cape st vincent was extraordinarily strong the cliffs on which it occupied about a hundred acres rose sheer two hundred feet all round except at a narrow and well-defended neck only two hundred yards across drake led the stormers himself while half his eight hundred men kept up a continuous fire against every spaniard on the wall the other half rushed piles of faggots in against the oak and iron gate drake was foremost in this work carrying faggots himself and applying the first match for two hours the fight went on when suddenly the spaniards sounded a parley their commanding officer had been killed and the woodwork of the gate had taken fire in those days a garrison that would not surrender was put to the sword when captured so these spaniards may well be excused drake willingly granted them the honours of war and so even to his own surprise the castle fell without another blow the minor forts near by at once surrendered and were destroyed while the guns of sagras were thrown over the cliffs and picked up by the men below the whole neighbouring coast was then swept clear of the fishing fleet which was the main source of supply used for the great armada the next objective was lisbon the headquarters of the great armada one of the finest harbours in the world and then the best fortified of all taking it was of course out of the question without a much larger fleet accompanied by an overwhelming army but drake reconnoitred to good effect learnt wrinkles that saved him from disaster two years later and retired after assuring himself that an armada which could not fight him then could never get to england during the same season ship fevers and all the other epidemics that dogged the old sailing fleets and scourged them like the plague never waited long drake was soon short-handed to add to his troubles burrow sailed away for home whereupon drake tried him and his officers by court-martial and condemned them all to death this penalty was never carried out for reasons we shall soon understand since no reinforcements came from home cape st vincent could not be held any longer there was however one more stroke to make the great east india spanish treasure ship was coming home and drake made up his mind to have her 
off the azores he met her coming towards him and dipping her colours again and again to ask him who he was but he would put out no flag till we were within shot of her when we hanged out flags streamers and pendants which done we hailed her with cannon shot and having shot her through divers times she shot at us then we began to ply her hotly our fly-boat lightly armed supply-vessel of comparatively small size and one of our pinnaces lying athwart her hawse across her bows at whom she shot and threw fireworks incendiary missiles but did them no hurt in that her ordnance lay so high over them then she seeing us ready to lay her aboard range up alongside all of our ships plying her so hotly and resolutely determined to make short work of her they yielded to us the spaniards fought bravely as they generally did but they were only naval amateurs compared with the trained professional sea-dogs the voyage was now made in the old sense of that term for this prize was the greatest ship in all portugal richly laden to our happy joy the relative values then and now are impossible to fix because not only was one dollar the equivalent in most ways of ten dollars now but in view of the smaller material scale on which men's lives were lived these ten dollars might themselves be multiplied by ten or more without producing the same effect as the multiplied sum would now produce on international affairs suffice it to say that the ship was worth nearly five million dollars of actual cash and ten twenty thirty or many more millions if present sums of money are to be considered relatively to the national incomes of those poorer days but better than spices jewels and gold were the secret documents which revealed the dazzling profits of the new east india trade by sea from that time on for the next twelve years the london merchants and their friends at court worked steadily for official sanction in this most promising direction at last on the thirty first of december one thousand six hundred the documents captured by drake produced their result and the east india company by far the greatest corporation of its kind the world has ever seen was granted a royal charter for exclusive trade drake may therefore be said not only to have set the course for the united states but to have actually discovered the route leading to the empire of india now peopled by three hundred million subjects of the british crown so ended the famous campaign in one thousand five hundred and eighty seven popularly known as the singeing of king philip's beard beyond a doubt it was the most consummate work of naval strategy which up to that time all history records end of chapter eight